What's up, Irish fans? Locked on Irish podcast coming your way right now. I'm your lead host, Greg Schaefer. Pumped to be with you guys on a Friday. You've made it. You're almost there. By the time you listen to this episode, it'll be the weekend. So happy weekend to you. The Locked On Irish Podcast is the official Notre Dame podcast of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make sure you're following us out there, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. Make sure you're following us on Facebook. Help us build this Twitter thing. I think I was complaining about it last week. Come on, let's let's get this thing going. I want to crack the code. Help us crack the code on Twitter. It'll be great. We'll all have a good time with it. Big show today. Going to talk about some of my worst takes ever. Uh, LSU reminded me, and then I've been called out about some of my worst takes that I've ever had. I've done over 100 podcasts at this point, been on different shows, things like that. And uh, yeah, I've had some pretty bad takes. We're not afraid to call ourselves out here on this show. And uh, after this week, I think I'm going to call out some of my co-hosts the next time they're on here. Also, big win down in Atlanta. We're going to talk some Irish hoops. Uh, first win since 2015, actually. Who's seen that coming? You know, Georgia Tech's not exactly Duke. So we'll talk about the game. The, it feels like a bigger win than what it was. And uh, we're going to do some way, way, way too early predictions for the 2020 football season, college football season, that is. And also probably get into some NFL talk since this is championship weekend, a weekend that I have not been able to attend. A little-known fact, every year, I'm a Bears fan, I've always want. I've never had a desire to go to a Super Bowl. I don't know why. I just I've always heard it's too corporate. One of the quieter games of the year, except for like big moments, and it's really just because people are drunk and together. And ah, let's cheer about something. Um, I've always wanted to go to a championship game. It's played at a home home field advantage. You know, it's like yeah, all right. You know, th- this is the one. This is the biggest thing can be that can be won in the NFL with a home field advantage. And every year I book a motel like months, almost a year in advance, as early as, they, as I can to get a cheap rate on what would be championship weekend in Chicago. And uh, unfortunately, I've never really had the opportunity to be able to use it. I've done that for like the last like five or six years, and at least I remember to cancel it, right? So let's get this thing rocking. Big day today, two-day hiatus. Like I said, didn't mean to go on two-day hiatus. We knew we'd be out Wednesday, but... We've been super busy. If you've listened to the show last Friday, we had a really close friend and somebody that really helped us get started, I guess, in this industry. Gave us a little financial backing on our on the East of the Bend stuff. Um, passed away last week, so we're kind of busy with that that sort of thing, funeral, this and that. So back at an actual show. So as I said, I wanted to get to some of my worst takes. LSU reminded me of of some of my just terrible takes. So. This is what you're dealing with listening to this show. So one that the first one that comes to mind, and I've been reminded of this because of, and I'll get to this one last, because of Joe Burrow leading LSU to a national title. <clears throat> I, I was thinking, what are my three worst takes? Because the Joe Burrow thing, when he transferred and left Ohio State on where he should have went, it's got to be up there in my, my top. It might be one of my worst ones. So I'll start with this one. As I mentioned just a little bit ago, I'm a Bears fan. See my team in the NFL. Sean Glennon. I thought he was the answer. I thought he was the one. I wanted to buy a jersey. I I could have swore that was the answer. Solid defense, even without, even before um, Khalil Mack. Like I could have swore that that was the guy. All we needed was a solid game manager, and he is hot garbage. That was a that was a bad one. Another one was um, Derek Williams. I was convinced. You, the, the Cavs should take Derrick Williams over Kyrie Irving in that draft. 
And uh, that that did not age well. Um, yeah, Kyrie Irving is a superstar and done all the things that he's done, and Derek Williams isn't even in the NBA anymore. So that that was a bad one. That that one sticks with me. People still call me out on that one because I was thoroughly convinced that Derek Williams was going to be something in the NBA, and his best season came in his second year when he started 56 games, basically just out of we drafted you second overall for the um, T-Wolves. And I think that was basically just, we draft you second overall, you're going to go play, because he was not good. Uh, had 12 points a game that year. That was his highest year in uh, rebounds as well. That was a bad one. Ugh, that was that was not good. I'm looking at his stats right now. I was like, how did, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't the only one, though. If you go back and look at that draft, I was not the only one with that terrible of a take. And then that leads me to my big one that just happened this week. Well, it didn't just happen because they could have got beat by 40 in that national championship, that day being LSU. And this is still a terrible take. When uh, Joe Burrow left Ohio State, I was like, well, his only option, really, logical option, he should just go to OU in Athens, like as in Ohio University, not Oklahoma, and not Athens, Georgia, Athens, Ohio. Yeah, that was me. I, I said it. I just thought, you know, go to my go to the Mac, ball out, and then go to the NFL. I mean, Roethlisberger did it. If you look at a guy like Josh Allen, he went to a Mountain West school. Did seem to work out pretty well, first round pick, right? But I'd, I'd say Burrow made the right choice, maybe a little bit, right? Uh, I don't know how I missed so bad on that one. They say his dream school was Nebraska, though. That's interesting, really interesting. I know he's an he's an Iowa guy, or well, born in Iowa. But, you know, went to high school here in Ohio, and, man, I bet uh, Nebraska's kicking their own ass. But when you really look at that, though, he wouldn't have had Joe Brady. He wouldn't have had all the talent that was around him. Does it work? I mean, really. Does it really work? Because it didn't really work until this year. I mean, you look at even last year. We talked about this, what, on the Tuesday show, about how just, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting. It is going to be interesting. I'm going to touch back on this toward the end of the show um, when we get to some way too early predictions for next year. So let's get to some good takes right after this. All right, Irish fans, back at it again. Locked on Irish podcast right now. So Irish take care of business in Atlanta, 78-74, and it was not easy. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't think we had it. I'm not gonna lie. I thought I thought we were gonna, I thought things were gonna go downhill really quick. I was I did not have a lot of faith in that game. Um, I, I well I take that back. I picked us to win. However, as I watched this game play out, the less and less faith that I had, it just looked like we were gonna run out of gas at a certain point in time. It's like you ever been to a tractor pull, like the fair or something, and it's like that truck or tractor, it's going, 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 but you know it's going to stop at some point, right? Well, that's how I feel about this team right now. It's like, yeah, they're going good and everything looks good. we got a lead, but it's dwindling, and you can kind of see the legs kind of coming out from under us a little bit. And, yeah, it it almost got us again, but we pulled it out and got over the hump this time. And let's be honest, it wasn't the prettiest win by getting over the hump. It wasn't the prettiest opponent. Like I said to start the show, it's kind of like this win feels a lot better than what it was, but to get a win somewhere where we've struggled, and it, it is, it, it's not a tough place to play. It's really weird. It's one of those things like because college sports, this is an issue. You know, Georgia Tech's not traditionally good at basketball. They've not been 
very good the last couple years when we've been struggling there. But to not win somewhere since 2015, to have a team that certainly questions themselves, I feel, at times, to have a team that's very short on depth with only seven guys essentially playing. I mean, Njogu played a little bit more of the last game, but you know Bray went with this seven-man rotation again, which is fine. It, it kind of is what it is. You got Leshevsky, Goodwin coming off the bench, and I guess that works to a degree when you have Leshevsky and Goodwin. The, the six-man rotation does not work. And on a night that what we do well, we didn't do well. We didn't shoot the. Th- we typically been shooting the three ball well. We didn't shoot it well at all. We went eight of twenty-six. I'm like that. I don't feel that's good enough. I really don't. We need to be shooting a little closer to 50% than that for me. We're taking, I mean, that is essentially the potential for what? Uh, 18 empty possessions. You know, Mooney had an off night, but that's one of the kind of, I don't know what I want to say, just one of the attractions to this game. The, The fact that Mooney did have an off night and finally somebody else stepped up because I do feel like that Mooney was hitting that just my gas lights on button. You know, he's done right now. Uh, you know, not done from done all year, but he's just kind of like had one of those games where it caught up to him. You know, you can only sell out like he does every night, give the kind of effort he does, and not and let's be real. Let's call a spade a spade here. He's not a physical freak by any stretch of the imagination. He's a above average to pretty good college basketball player. I mean, I would have to see him on a team with more talented guys to see if he would get overshadowed on a team like that. I mean, yes, his production's there. His numbers speak for themselves. Don't get me wrong. But does that change if he's on a team with just as talented a guy, if not more talented? Is he the one that shines, or is he the one shining on this team because of the lack of talent and the lack of depth? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people out there. Every game I watch, it always talks about the potential for Mooney to stay on a roster in the NBA somewhere for, uh, you know, several years. So, you know, I'm no expert by any stretch. I, I just, a guy that loves college basketball, and I see what I see. I see a guy with, you know, average athleticism, but really just gives it all every night. He's like the Tommy Rees. Oh, there's that name. We're probably going to talk about it later. The Tommy Rees of college basketball for Notre Dame right now because he gives literally everything his body can give and more if he's got it. And he just so happened to have an off night. I mean, he's the unprecedented leader of this team. But four of twelve from the field, did shot awful from three, zero uh, of four from three. But got us another double double, thirteen rebounds, ten total points, three steals, two blocks. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. You you really can't. Durham played. Durham had a Durham game. He had four six, eight points. It's almost like we trot him out there for like tip off and like because we have to. Bray feels like this like dedication to a big guy or something. And then after he realizes the lineup's probably better without him in it, it then Durham just goes to the bench. Well, we got to trot our tall, tall guy out there. Uh, Goodwin actually had 31 minutes in this game. Um, played played uh, twice as much as Durham. 5 of 11 from the field, 3 of 4 from three-point land, 15 points. We got 18 points of production off our bench. Of course, 15 did come from Goodwin, as I just mentioned, but Leshevsky gave us three points off the bench. And just that energy off the bench – He's he's developing. I know he was one of four. It, it looks like he's just playing with a little more assertiveness. I like what I see from Leshevsky. I also like what I see from our guards. Our guards actually attack the hole a little bit in the second half. Hubs and Gibbs are really athletic guys. They have to start attacking better. They've got to start attacking better. It's the bottom line. You guys just can't... I mean, 
Gibbs was what five of eight, I believe, when he attacked. When he shoot, you know, shoots from two, three of eight from or hub. I'm sorry, uh, three of eight from behind three. And granted, yes, some of those threes really bailed us out, and you know his energy and aggression really bailed us out. But it, you know, it doesn't matter if we're not attacking if the threat's not there. We have to have some sort of threat of we're going to actually dribble and drive that we're actually going to make a move. Because then we can start getting some of the defense to crash down a little bit, kick the ball out, and get a better look. You know, the offense looked better from, um, what do I want to say, a distribution standpoint. Uh, even though they only had nine assists in the game, I really liked what I seen from the ball movement. Now, there were some laws in there. There were some times where you're like, okay, I feel like Notre Dame should be running away with this. What's happening? You know, a passenger called that timeout in the first half. I think we were up by seven. Uh, seven-point lead went away, and yes, we went into halftime up 29-27, but it was like after that timeout, whatever he said, it put them right into right into the groove, and we basically were still sitting on the bench. I, I don't know what that was about. Um, you know, it looks like, hey, more power to Passner and more power to Georgia Tech for stepping up and listening to whatever he said because obviously we we weren't prepared. Whatever adjustment they made, we weren't prepared for it. They were hitting their shots. They were more aggressive. We had some early turnovers that I really feel like kept Georgia Tech just coming back, coming back, and kept them close. Um, but, you know, we only finished the game with eight turnovers. We still lead the country in assist-to-turnover ratio, lowest amount of turnovers. Uh, we do a great job of that. I mean, Georgia Tech, they were low as well. They only had 13, but we take care of the ball pretty well. I think I feel like some of our stuff is just the ticky-tack stuff just dropping the ball for whatever reason, or in a crucial moment, turn the ball over. You know, if that's the kind of stuff that just gets frustrating is, yes, you've taken care of the ball very well to this point, and you haven't given up too many fouls to this point, but then you foul in this moment, or you foul in this moment, or you turn the ball over in this moment. And that's where these guys just need to be more clutch. Some of that can even be just strictly due to fatigue, and I still go back to Bray and how he's using this bench. He has to figure out a way. I, Georgia Tech's a perfect example. They ran out nine guys. Um, Moore only played one minute. Okay, but that was one minute. He got somebody a breather. He, he, he came in, gave somebody a spell, and then, okay, big deep breath, and let's go back to attacking. I mean, Bray did it with Mooney against NC State. There's no, no reason he couldn't do that with any of the players. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter who they are. Sub them in. Have a guy take a seat. Take a breather. Send him back out there. And let this team regroup a little bit. Uh, Fluger still offensively is terrible. I mean, it, it really makes the argument. If you are going to start with this, these five, with Mooney, Durham, Hub, Fluger, Gibbs, and you have to, and you really want to start Durham, because I feel like our best lineup is probably with Goodwin on the floor at, in any way, shape, or form save for Hub, Gibbs, and Mooney, you may want to sit Fluger and trade some defense for offense because I know Fluger plays nice defense but only had one steal. I mean, he's not super impactful. He's a nice athlete. He's got a ton of experience. He's a great leader, very inspirational. But have him come off the bench because right now, I mean, it's rough, man. Fluger is looking rough. He was 0-5 again, no points. Um... Had five total rebounds, a couple of assists, a couple turnovers. I mean, he's not doing anything special right now. 
And I hate that because I love this kid. I love this kid. Averaging 4.6 points a game. He, he is shooting 27% from the field right now. It's ugly. <laughs> it is ugly. Um, he's even taken a step back from where he was last year. He was at 38.9%. He's never been a, just an all-out scorer, but he averaged 8.1 points per game. You know, he, he played nice. He, he was a solid contributor. Now, outside of his defense, I'm not really sure what he offers. And I don't know if what he offers on defense outweighs what we could be getting off the bench from off an offensive perspective and offensive production. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm asking the question. Hit us up at Locked On Irish on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Um, we were much better from three percentage-wise, but we just still shoot too many. We're still shooting too too many, and, and if we're going to shoot that many, at least be hot. At least show some semblance of efficiency, because right now it's it's 30% from three. Now, I know Georgia Tech was only four of 15. Again, I like the way we defended. Now, there was a time this team could have gave up. It was, I think I tweeted it out, I think it was 47-41 or something like that at the under 10 mark, and we stormed back. TJ Gibbs made a jumper. Uh, Hub made a jumper. You know, those two-point shots, getting that mid-range game involved, and then getting to the line. We have to figure out a way to get to the line more. I think I talked about that on Tuesday as well. Why are we not attacking? Why do our guards have such few foul shot attempts? We have to get to the line. Create contact. I mean, if nothing else, you're going to create the threat that I was talking about just a little bit ago and get these guys to crash down and kick the ball out. If you really want the three then make them crash. Make them crash down. Kick the ball out. Get the best-looking shot you want. We play way too much out on the perimeter. Sometimes our offense starts way too high. By the time we work down, we are down to, what, eight seconds left in the shot clock. I know if that's your goal, that's fine, but start the offense just a little closer to the basket and work on some dribble drives kind of stuff. You know, make give them a threat. A lot of times I feel like we're just throwing the ball around and if something opens up, great. But if we have to settle for a contested three at the end of the shot clock, that's great too. And then that's, I just feel like the offense could just be ran more efficient, even with the guys that we have. I know we're undermanned. I know we're not the most talented team in the country. Trust me, I got it. Not the most talented team in the ACC by far. But I just feel like things could run just a little more efficiently. Now down the stretch, Georgia Tech was fighting with us, was definitely fighting with us. They were making shots. With two minutes left, it's 65-64 for perspective. Um, you know, Gibbs comes down, makes a three-pointer. Uh, just beautiful shot. Beautiful shot. Just out there trying to call game. Uh, Gibbs made his free throws down the stretch. You know, uh, there's not much to complain about. There really isn't. We went on the road. It's tough to win on the road in the ACC. But at the end of the day, we beat an 8-9 and nine team. We have to put this in perspective. As I said, this win feels so much better than what it actually is. We're 11 and 6. We beat an 8 and 9 team on the road. Okay. Now we got a full week. We have a full week to prepare for Syracuse at home. We have to have this one. We've got to have it. We need 9 wins. We got to find somewhere how to get 9 wins. And with Florida State looming, that's going to it's going to be tough. We have things like Florida State coming up. We got Duke coming up. Clemson coming up. They just beat Duke. Um but we're going to get a little reprieve. If you look at the schedule, we got Syracuse, then there's Florida State. But that's another opportunity because we're going to need signature wins. If all we can get to is 20, they're going to start looking at the resume because it's college basketball is all over the place this year. 20 might get us in with these, but it'd be nice to get one of these Florida States. Get one of these Louisvilles, you know, as opposed to just like clipping Wake Forest, clipping Georgia Tech. 
beating Syracuse. Now, do we want them? Hell yeah, we want these games. We want to win every game. But we got to start getting a, at least notch a signature win because then maybe at 18 or 19 wins. And coming from the ACC with our reputation, maybe that's good enough. All right, guys, let's talk a little football right after this. All right, guys, final segment of the show, Locked On Irish Podcast. I look up at the clock, and I was like, man, I've been ranting about college basketball for quite a while, and I'm not sure I really broke anything down. I think I was just complaining the entire time. Sorry about that. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed every moment of it, because I did. felt good. It's like, my wife doesn't want to hear about this, so I'll sit here and rant about it. So I just kind of wanted to get to some just like way, way too early predictions. And since I mentioned it earlier, kind of teased it in the opening of the show, um, I was going to do like way too early Final Four, and I will, but I was going to do that first. But I think I'll do like my biggest drop-off teams and teams that are going to be the biggest risers next year. And biggest drop-off, I say look no further than LSU. Uh, Dave Aranda just took the job at Baylor. Uh, Joe Brady is with Carolina. Joe Burrow headed to the NFL, Jefferson to the NFL. This team's going to struggle next year. I mean, I think they're going to struggle to get to seven wins. This might be, you know, Orgeron, I'm not the biggest believer in him as a head coach. I think he's more of a head manager kind of thing. I think players like to play for him. I would love to play for the guy. I love him. I think he's a, just an awesome dude. But I'm not sure how much of a football coach he is. He surrounded himself with really good football minds. And he surrounded himself with really good football talent that seemed to that, that seems to help. However, this might be the hardest job of any head coach that's coming off of a national title. He's losing his starting quarterback, leading wide receiver. I'm not even sure what else he loses, but he loses basically the guy that getting about fifty percent of the credit for this passing game working so well. And you're losing your D coordinator. All right, you're whew, that is a lot. A lot to lose. That's a lot. You can't deny that how impactful that's going to be. And, you know, Joe Burrow, the way he played this year, that was once-in-a-lifetime kind of season. You cannot expect to get that. Now, I know LSU's LSU. They're going to recruit well, and they'll probably reload to a certain extent. But next year, I think nine wins for them is a success, in my opinion. Next one I have up here that I was kind of looking at is I think Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin takes a huge step back. Cephas is gone. Taylor's gone. The center, he's an All-American whose name continues to slip my mind, and I'm not sure why. Gone. They're not equipped in their recruiting to just reload every year. They're not one of those programs that just, just brings in talent on talent on talent. Now, who knows what was breeding kind of behind them, how those guys were evolving and progressing. But I, I think they take a step back next year. You lose, again, a once-in-a-lifetime player, uh, Jonathan Taylor. C, uh, Quintez Cephas, really good wide receiver. You lose him. I think this t- team takes a significant step back. And for all those people that think that we have our schedule so tough all these years, I'll give you this. All right? Last year's schedule wasn't tough, and neither is next year's. Have you seen the front end of next year's schedule? You got Navy without Malcolm Perry. You got Arkansas, who might have been the worst school in FBS this year. You got, who's next? Western Michigan, that's enough said. Then you have Wake Forest without Jamie Newman. You have Wisconsin without all three of those guys I just mentioned. This schedule is not hard next year. I don't. There's no way you can paint it any other way. However... The ass end of this schedule, I think, I think could get tricky. 
and that's where I'm going to get to some of my biggest risers. Actually, one of my another one of my biggest fallers, if you will. I think Virginia takes a huge step back. Like if they get to a bowl game, I'll be impressed. They lose their uh, corner. They lose uh, Bryce Perkins. I mean, they never really had a running game anyway. Bryce Perkins pretty much did it all. I think that team takes a significant step back. And as far as on the other side of the ledger with that rivalry, I would go Virginia Tech as a riser. I like what I've seen from Hendon Hooker. Fuente seemed to kind of right the ship. They played better down the stretch um, despite losing to Virginia. Um, Hooker found a way to throw the ball, even though... You know, Flutie was reporting during the game against us that he did, could not throw the ball, just not a, a quarterback that can't throw. I don't even know how that works. But I like what Fuente did this year with Virginia Tech down toward the end. I know they got beat by Kentucky as well, but just the way they played better. The way they played just improved their game. I, I liked what I seen. Louisville's another one. Louisville with Satterfield, they went 8-5 and five this year. It turned out to be one of the better wins that we had. Uh, Louisville just had such a bad reputation from the year prior. Uh, Arkansas has basically taken over the role of Louisville. So it'll be interesting to see how Arkansas bounces back this year with a new coach. Uh, do are, do they flip into what Louisville is? Do they get to 8-5 and five this year? I don't think so. Their recruiting rankings was 106th. That's awful. I mean, people were bagging on USC, and rightfully so, for being behind teams like Troy and Bowling Green, but they weren't 106. I think they were, what, 72 or something? But... As one might say, help is on the way. No, in this case, help is not on the way in Arkansas. I did read a report that Derek King is looking to go to Arkansas. Good, good for Arkansas because they need something. Uh, that's the Houston transfer the, for those not keeping score at home. Uh, he, he's the one that said he wasn't going to transfer. He just decided to sit out because the team was bad. And now he's not coming back at all. Um, but yeah, Arkansas needs something. Uh, and... I think it's going to be more than Derek King is what they need. Uh, and then kind of a trend on this list of teams that I said that would rise next season, Georgia Tech. I think Georgia Tech's going to surprise some people. Jeff Collins is a really good coach, and that team's just really trying to figure out how to transition from being a triple option team. Look for them to get to a bowl game next year, and after going 3-9, and nine, that's a hell of a turnaround. Fertile recruiting ground. Jeff Collins is an Atlanta guy. I think he'll identify with the recruits well. I don't think it'll be hard to get guys to Atlanta. I also like UCLA. I do. I think Chip Kelly, I think he's going to turn the corner this year. Look for a bowl game this year and then competing for a Pac-12 title in 2021. Uh, Sticking with the Pac-12, I like Cal. Cal looked good this year. They had some moments of uh, what's happening, but they're going through some growing pains. Give me... I think I like to, I like what Cal's building out there. I think they can get back to some Pac-12 is wide open, and I think they can get back to some glory, glory days to some extent and be able to compete probably this year. And then Mississippi State, as far as risers go, I mean, come on, how could you go wrong with the Pirate? How could you go wrong with Mike Leach? Mike Leach is going to be able to recruit there. I think. Hot take, I think Mississippi State beats LSU next year. They're going to get games like that. They're going to get one or two they're not supposed to. Now, are they going to win a national title? I don't think so. Uh, Will they sit around the top 10 and scare some people? Hell yeah. Will they upset somebody from time to time? 100%. 100%. I love Leach as a coach. Um, He's also going to lose some he's not supposed to. You might see him go out there and lose to something like Vanderbilt or you know, pick a team, Troy. And then come back and beat 
LSU or Auburn. I mean, that's just the kind of coach that Leach is. A little inconsistent, but it's a little better recruiting area. It's not Pullman, Washington. Uh, I think he's going to be successful there. And media days are going to be crazy with Kiffin and the Pirate, that's for sure, with Kiffin being at Ole Miss. Now, my way too early predictions for uh, the playoff next season. I wish I wasn't going black and white on this, but I'm going all chalk. I got, I, I don't see it any other way. I see OSU, I see Bama, Clemson, and my four is Oregon. I know Oregon lost four of their five guys on their offensive line, but they've recruited well. Mario Cristobal is a heck of a coach, and guess who just got Joe Moorhead, or at least finalizing a deal? Not Notre Dame. I, I, I like what Oregon's building up there. They got the Nike money behind them. The awesome uniforms and all that stuff, it appeals to kids. Oregon is the new USC, man. They are the team in the Pac-12. That's where all the kids want to go. Now, speaking of which, I put up a poll on the Twitter page. Make sure you get out there at Locked On Irish. Shameless plug. Get out there and vote. Big, A lot of decisiveness right now. A lot of division amongst Notre Dame fans as far as this Tommy Reese hire. I want to know your thoughts. Just comment down there. I'm not a fan, personally. I would be okay with it as a third or fourth choice, but with Helfrich and Moorhead out there, I think it was a mistake. Rees could give us three national titles, and I would still say this is a risky hire. I would. I I stand on that. I'll die on this hill. That I hope it works. There's everything in my being that I hope it works. That would be so great. Tommy Rees, the guy that was not the most physically talented, it gave everything his body had to the university, not able to make it in the NFL, goes into coaching, son of a coach, born to do this, okay? Born to do it. He takes the job and then leads Notre Dame from an offensive perspective to a national title. It's great. It's a great story. I just think it's a risky hire. I mean, Kelly is in his 11th year, and you hired a 27-year-old kid to run your offense. You're giving him the keys, and I just find it to be a lazy hire. They were, from what I understand, they were set up to interview Joe Moorhead, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Rees got the job. I know Rees was rumored to interview with Oregon. I say go on. Go interview. You know, if if that's what you feel like you got to do, go interview. But... I just feel like it's a lazy hire. You look at all the hires through the Kelly years, and outside of a guy like Elko, he's never swung for the fences. He's never swung for the fences. And the only reason we got Clark Lee is because Elko brought him with him. He was a young guy, and then he just transitioned into the role. Even when Elko left, people want to say, well, he went out and got Clark Lee. Well, he brought Clark Lee onto the linebacker coach, let's be real. And Clark Lee then fit into the position Elko had as the D.C., and we almost had to. We had a 4-2-5 defense. You had Van Gorder's crazy blitz on every play for, what, three seasons, essentially. You had Diaco before that, who played a little more bend but don't break. Then you brought in Greg Hudson, interim in 2016, and we tried to dial back some of that blitzing. Then you bring in this whole new system, 4-2-5. You're recruiting around it for basically a year, year and a half. And then he goes. Clark Lee's going to run the same defense. You almost had to hire Lee. Because then a a cycle's worth of recruiting is lost based on recruiting guys for this specific type of defense. We were recruiting rovers like crazy. guy like Shane Simon, Houston Griffith, all were brought in with the idea that they could potentially play rover. And are you going to do, throw away these tweener guys or let them get lost in the shuffle because now they don't necessarily have a position? 
So don't throw at me the Clark Lee stuff about, oh, well, you know, people had the same complaints about Clark Lee. Well, not necessarily. Clark Lee was already in the system. It was, again, that was, at the end of the day, I'm happy we got him and I wanted him. That's who I wanted, but still a lazy hire. This was a lazy hire because I don't feel like we even kicked the tires on anybody else. We didn't even try. And, and maybe I'm off. I hope I'm off. I hope Tommy Rees gets every award gets a national title as a uh, offensive coordinator. Kelly rides off into the sunset. He's got a statue. Tommy walks right into the position at a cool 31 years old, youngest head coach in Notre Dame history. Just write the narrative. You can't even make movies like that. But you have two offensive coordinators just sitting out there. And granted, I don't know if we were ever in on Helfrich. Just a thought. I loved Helfrich. I thought his offenses just ticked away at Oregon. Joe Moorhead, proven guy. You have other guys that were just sitting out there that we talked about on previous shows, how they were just sitting out there. At least kick the tires on them. Now, if everybody turns you down, great, fine. We'll go with Tommy or, you know, the most qualified candidates. But I just feel like this was just another hire among hires of Kelly's friends, associates over the years, people that'll just say yes. People will just do what he wants them to do. Because I'll be honest with you, there's rumors going around that Kelly, after the Michigan game, that Rees really took more control of the offense. And while it was better, it wasn't anything special because of the teams we beat. What did we beat? The best team we beat was at Navy. That plays nowhere on the national scene. Nowhere. There was still some of the same goofy play calling with screen passes and swing passes and not throwing the ball downfield. Now, we improved it, but... There wasn't anything special about it. We didn't light anything on fire. Yeah, we lit a 4-8 and eight Duke on fire. We lit a Navy team that, yes, albeit they won 11 games, that's freaking fantastic, but we should do what we did to Navy this year every year. We just out-athleted them at the end of the day. Same way with the, the bowl game. People want to point to the bowl game. Well, look what Tommy did there. Well, we had one huge run. The running game still looked putrid. And then Chase Claypool was just so happened to be the best athlete on the field and went up and said that's my ball so i'm sure we're still going to beat this dead horse till season starts and we actually see what Rees can do again i hope we're averaging 800 yards a game and scoring 65 points a game and giving up two points a game and, it, and we ride off into two national titles but i just don't think that's reality and if that's not reality it's going to get kelly fired if we take any steps backward in the offense and it still looks the same this could be the last coordinator the offensive coordinator that coach kelly hires so that's it for the show guys way over time today make sure you're checking us out at lockdown irish on twitter on facebook so until monday uh real quick predictions i got chiefs i got niners in the super bowl let us know what you think make sure you listen to a stitcher spotify itunes all the places so until monday go irish